Okay, let's go ahead and uh, uh, read uh, now Zechariah. Ah, there we go. I was about to say, I usually bring my glasses. And I did today too. So Zechariah chapter, um, chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 6 through, uh, 6 through 14. The Bible says in Zechariah chapter 6, or chapter 4 and verse 6, Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? Thou shalt become a plain. And he shall bring forth the headstone thereof, with shouting, crying, Grace, grace, unto it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house, and his hands shall also finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you. For who hath despised the day of small things? Father, I pray, Lord, that you'd bless this message. I pray, Lord, you'd use it in a great way. I pray, Lord, you'd help us to do things by your Spirit. Father, I pray, Lord, you'd help us not to despise the day of small things. Father, I pray, Lord, that you'd fill our hearts with your Spirit today. Help us to be ready to hear. And we thank you for everything you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The context of this book, uh, uh, this uh, uh, prophesying of Zechariah, basically it's uh, uh, after the Babylonian exile. Um, and so uh, they, they've come back. And God has given them a gigantic task to do. Uh, the task is, is they've got to rebuild not just the wall, uh, which we hear about a lot in the book of Nehemiah, and not just the temple, which we hear a lot about in the book of Ezra, but they've got to rebuild everything. Uh, Zerubbabel and Joshua, two people who, who were mentioned, who uh, are receiving a, spe- a specific uh, prophecy and word of God f- from God through Zechariah. Uh, Joshua is the high priest, so he answers for the spiritual condition of the nation. Uh, and Zerubbabel, he's the governor. He's the political leader of, uh, of the nation of Israel uh, dur- during this time. And so they've got a gigantic task ahead of them. Um, the word uh, uh, Zechariah, um, if, uh, if you take the Hebrew, Lizchor uh, means to remember. Chuzocher uh, means he remembers. Chizocher means she remembers, uh, and so on and so forth. And Zechariah means the Lord remembers. The Lord remembers. And the book of Zechariah is all about the promises of God and what God has told his people he's going to do. They're at the place where it's like they're starting all over again. Uh, They're they're, they're starting from scratch. Everything is destroyed. Nothing, uh, the, 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 the temple, not one stone is on top of another one. And many of the buildings that they need and so on and so forth. A lot of these people, we find out in uh, Haggai and so on and so forth in, in chapter 1, uh, they're worried mostly about their own well-being. Uh, they're taking care of things like their own houses first before they build the temple of the Lord and, and, and doing these other things. Not everybody, now there, there's lots of people, lot, well, many of the Jews, they stayed back in Babylon. Okay, when, Now God told them, 
uh, when he was giving the punishment in, in, in Jeremiah, he says, okay, build houses, grow families, start businesses. This is your punishment, but I want you to accept it, and so on and so forth. And so, and so they did. And lots of things changed in the uh, um, Israeli society at that point. Uh, they were not so much agrarian anymore because they couldn't own land and so on and so forth, but they became merchants and they became businessmen and so on and so forth. And a lot of them had uh, thriving businesses in Babylon uh, and, and so on and so forth. So, uh, uh, so a lot of them didn't want to come back. And even the ones that did come back, a lot of them weren't super heavily spiritually minded. So, so they've got this situation where they've got a gargantuan task that would be huge for anyone. Imagine if I said, uh, tomorrow, uh, Gilbert, Arizona, and the Phoenix area is going to be wiped off the face of the map. You're all, all be protected, but, but everything you know, all of the tall buildings in downtown Phoenix, the stadium, so on and so forth, and everything, it's all going to be leveled. You're going to be spared, but you're going to have to start over. Everything, it's, 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 you don't have a house, you don't have land, you don't have a place to plant anything, you haven't planted anything. You're going to have to start from scratch. That would be a huge, gigantic undertaking. Now, as Christians, in our era today, we have a huge gigantic undertaking. God has commanded us, go ye therefore and teach all nations. Zerubbabel was in charge of rebuilding the kingdom of Israel. God has put us in charge of building the kingdom of heaven. And it's huge. It's gigantic. It's such a gigantic job, it can easily overwhelm us. I know of right now in Russia, for example, I know of uh, two other families that I believe are going to plan on staying. I know of two other families that are either in America or in another country, and, and I don't know if they're going to come back. Okay? So we've got three families uh, for all of Russia. Okay. It's a huge undertaking. If I could go up to people and I could say, uh, let's say that my witnessing process would be just Jesus saves. I could just say Jesus saves, and that would be enough. It's not enough. But it, let's just say that I could just say that, and people would understand, oh, he does, huh? Grace, amen, great. Uh, for by grace are you saved through faith, or, or, or whatever. Um, but I just said Jesus saves. I took one second, and I shook everybody's hand, and everybody just got in the line for some reason, just to shake my hand. And I could just do that, and I could do that for, so I could see one person saved every second, let's say. That'd be a really impressive prayer letter, but, but, but let's just say I, I could do that. That's impossible, but let's just say I could. You know how many people I would see saved? Yeah, around a million. <laughs> and it wouldn't be enough. The job's too big. There's too many people. There's, too, there, there's so many people being born in the world today. Just every day, more and more and more people that we are commanded to reach. So in this setting, God gives us these words, okay? It says, Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord uh, unto Zerubbabel. So this is a specific prophecy to him, saying, Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, 
saith the Lord of hosts. The word here, might, could be easily translated as military might. Okay? Zerubbabel doesn't have an army. The first time when they built this society, uh, David, that's exactly what he had. David had an army. David was able to, by God's decree, God said, uh, we, we, we've got to clear the land. We, God, David was um, God's righteous instrument of judgment on all the peoples around who had for a very, very long time disregarded God's commands about uh, not sacrificing your infants and, and, and doing all these other kinds of wicked things that they were doing. And, 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 and so David, uh, one by one, took this place over, took this place over, and so on and so forth. He, he, was, he was very skilled in the arts of war. He was a great military leader. He wanted to build a temple. He wanted to, to God to use him to do that, but God said, I'm not going to use you to do that. I'm going to use the next generation to do that. So in lieu of that, um, what David did was, when he was able to conquer another people uh, or, or, or collect taxes or do whatever, he, uh, he got a bunch of building materials together. And he spent his lifetime doing this. And so by the end of his life, uh, when Solomon comes to power, Solomon's got uh, a ton of God's wisdom and so on and so forth. But Solomon's got the, uh, the, the riches from an army that had existed uh, an entire lifetime, or most of a lifetime, uh, to, to, to conquer all the areas around Israel. Zerubbabel doesn't have an army. <laughs> I don't have an army. <laughs> Sometimes I wish I did. <laughs> I don't have an army. But the Bible says it's not because of military might. It's not because of somebody's individual capability. It's not by power. It's by my spirit, thus saith the Lord. So what does a work look like? What does a work look like when it's led by God's spirit? First of all, it doesn't shrink from mountain-moving goals. The Bible says here, uh, who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? So God, in his prophecy to Zerubbabel, compares what Zerubbabel's job that he has to do, he compares it to a mountain. Okay, And uh, the Bible has some things to say about mountains. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 17, and verse 20, And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, If ye have faith as, as a grain of mustard seed, Ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Now, God gave Zerubbabel a mountain-moving goal. It was too big for him. It was impossible for him. But God still gave it to him. Now, we could say, as a church family, we could say, you know, maybe if we just concentrate on our area, Maybe if we don't try to reach the uttermost part of the world, because we're just a little church, and what can we do to really have an impact? But God doesn't give us the choice to even do that. He doesn't tell us, go ye therefore to the places very close to you, and, and the places that are convenient to drive to, and the places where you can be probably your most effective, because you can witness to them in a personal manner, and so on and so forth. And there'd be lots of logical reasons why you would just do that. <laughs> I mean, there's lots of logical reasons. But God said, go ye therefore and teach all nations. We don't get to choose the mountain-moving goal that God has presented us with. We have to do what he said. We have to throw ourselves at this goal. So, then it says further here, so who art thou? Now, now check this out. Let me just give you a quick illustration. 
If we had, for example, if we had, uh, how many people here have been to uh, Mount Rainier? It's in Washington, right next to Seattle. Okay, so we got one, two, okay. So maybe, maybe it wasn't raining that day you were there. Probably it was because it rains like 360 days out of the year. Maybe you were there in the five days and you got to see Mount Rainier. Uh, maybe you flew into Seattle, and you can see, because you're not in the clouds yet, and so you can see Seattle is a great big city, Tacoma, great big city, and then you've got Mount Rainier, which makes it all look puny, makes everything look small. Mount Rainier, I mean, because it's a city right next to a mountain. It doesn't happen all the time. I mean, you've got Colorado, which is next to the Rockies, but actually it's still kind of far off, but, uh, but, but this is a volcanic mountain in the middle of a gigantic city, and the mountain is huge. If we as a nation, if all of the states, not just Washington State, but if all of the states, if for some reason we decided we need to move that mountain, I'm not sure we could. I think it might be too big. With all our, we're the most technologically advanced society. We're the richest society that's ever been in the, in the history of the world. And I think if God said, or whoever said, move that mountain, We'd be like, I don't know even where to start. But the Bible says, if you have the faith as a grain of mustard, that God can use you to move mountains. God doesn't look at the goal of worldwide evangelism as something that can't be done. It's a big goal. He recognizes that it's a big goal. He calls it the mountainous goal. But it's not something that he doesn't even expect us to do. And I know this because check this out. Bible says further here. Okay. O great mountain, before Zerubbabel, thou shalt become a plain. And he shall bring forth the headstone. The headstone is the, like the last capstone. It's like the last thing you do on the building. It's talking about finishing it. If you don't uh, totally understand that there, in verse 9, it says this. It says, In the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house, and his hands shall also finish it. So God doesn't just ask Zerubbabel to try real hard or to, or, 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 to, or to see a lot of progress. God is asking Zerubbabel to finish it. And God is asking us to finish it. When he tells you to go ye therefore and preach the gospel to every creature, go ye therefore and teach all nations, it's not something to where he says, well, you just give it your best effort. You just try real hard. He expects us to finish it. So how come so many times we don't? How come so many times so many uh, uh, people are not faithful to the end of what God's called them to do? I think we have a little bit of a hint here when the Bible says, Who hath despised the day of small things? You see... When Zerubbabel looks at his things, <laughs> and he looks at all the things that he's got to do the job that God's given him to do, Zerubbabel has to come to the conclusion and say, compared to what you've called me to do, this is all small. I don't have uh, an army. I don't have all of the stuff that, uh, the, the, that Solomon had in order to build the temple the first time. I've got a people with me who many of them aren't even all that committed to you, Lord. How can we do this? And they get discouraged because they look at the smallness of what they can do. 
They compare it to the bigness of what needs to be done. And they think to themselves, I don't even know if it's worth it. I don't even know if it's going to make any kind of a difference. Let's look at, I don't really have time to read it, but let's look very quickly at uh, Matthew in chapter 25 and verse 14. We see there the, uh, the parable of the talents. I'll summarize for you very quickly because we don't have time to read it. But in the parable of the talents, basically we have uh, a situation where we have a, 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 a master of the house and he leaves. And he gives everybody something. He gives one guy five talents. Uh, he gives another guy two talents. And he gives uh, the last guy one talent. And when he gives that one guy five talents, the five-talent guy, what does he do? He takes those talents and he works with them and he invests them by faith and he uses them for God's purposes. And then at the end, when the, when the master comes back to check on him, he says, here I've got five more talents. So you've got the five-talent guy and he's faithful with what God has given him. And he comes back and he gives him five more talents, so he gives him ten talents total. And, and the Lord of the house says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I want to hear that from the Lord when I'm done with my work on this earth. I want to hear God tell me, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I want to hear him say that to me. I want to be faithful in what he's called me to do. Then you've got the two-talent guy. And the two-talent guy, same exact situation, but just less talents. Okay, And so he gets the two talents. He, he, he invests in the work. And, uh, uh, and he gets two more talents, okay? He gets in, 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 in uh, um, when you think about what he was given, he gets uh, less than what the five-talent guy gave, but, 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 uh, but comparable to what he was given, he, he did the same thing the five-talent guy did, okay? And by the way, the Lord says the same exact thing to him. He says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. It doesn't matter how much God gives you. It matters that you're faithful with what God gives you. You might, you might think to yourself, well, I don't have a whole lot. God says, be faithful with what I've given you. And the same exact reward is available for the five-talent guy, for the two-talent guy, and by the way, also for the one-talent guy. Now, the one-talent guy, he's not faithful. He takes his talent. He takes the finances that the Lord has given him, and he buries it. He's not, he doesn't steal it. He doesn't, he doesn't, he's not foolish with it. He doesn't just, you know, uh, spend it upon his lust or something. But he's not faithful with it. He doesn't act in faith with it. And he buries it. And, uh, and, the, and the master comes back and he says things like wicked, slothful. Uh, he, 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 tells, he tells the one talent guy. Now, I've always thought about this. The Lord could have kind of rearranged the order of this. He could have made the five-talent guy unfaithful and the two-talent guy faithful and the one-talent guy faithful. And, and, the, and the illustration, the parable would have lost none of its power and none of its illustrative purpose and none of its strength. You still would have had the differences between uh, people and you still would have understood that no matter what you get, according to your several ability, no matter what you get, as long as you're faithful, the, the whole message wouldn't have changed at all. So why did he make the one-talent guy the guy who was unfaithful? We know God is love. He's not going to pick on just the, you know, the small guy, the one-talent guy. Why is it that he makes the one-talent guy unfaithful? And when we know from other, uh, other things, we know sometimes money can be a, a big draw to people to, to not let them listen to the gospel. Uh, the, so, so, so it might have been even more 
real world applicable if the five talent guy wasn't the guy who was faithful. But he makes the one talent guy unfaithful. Why does he do that? I think he does it because the one talent guy is the most important. Why do I say that? How can I say that? If the five talent guy is not faithful, the Lord's out five talents. Okay? If the two talent guy is unfaithful, the Lord's out two talents. Not hard to do the math. But let's change the word talent and let's make it salary. Okay? Let's make it salary because we're talking about money here. We're not talking about singing ability or something like that. We're talking about money. So if we look at it as terms of salary, and we know that whatever a talent was worth, we know that it's what that guy has. It's all of what that guy has. And we also know what the relationship is to other people. In other words, one guy's got two talents, one guy's got five talents. So let's just take the average salary in this room. The average salary in this room. How many people in this room who, who were working and so on and so forth, who were, who were on, on, on Social Security or, or whatever the situation is, whatever God gives you for your increase, how many of us are around average? If you look at my uh, tax return, you will see that Adam Young is very much a one-talent guy. <laughs> okay? I am very much a one-talent guy. And most of you in this room are also one-talent guys. How many people, I, I, don't, you know, I don't want you to raise your hand, I, you, you probably don't know because we don't sit around and look at each other's tax returns often. But how many people in this room think that they even reach the level of making five times the average? That's pretty high. If we had one guy in this room, if we had, let's say we had 100 people in this church, and let's say we all had jobs, okay? We, we all have jobs, we all got some way of, of making money, God's given us some kind of increase. If you would take the guys who would make five times the average in a room of 100 people, that'd be about two or three maximum. If you had the people who were making two times, you'd be around no more probably than 7%, but let's be very generous and let's say it's 10%. We're making double the average. You know what you have left? You have 85% of the people making the average. And so when the one talent guy is unfaithful, God's not out one talent. God's out 85 talents compared to just 10 or 20 talents for the other guys. The work of the Lord runs on one-talent guys. It can't be done without one-talent guys. It can't be done without one-talent guys saying, you know, I might not have a whole lot, and I got lots of financial things I got to worry about. I got a family. I got this. I got that. I know I got these things too. I might not have a lot, but all of what, my, what I have is God's. My talent might be small. I might be a one-talent guy, but God's got all my talent. Remember, every one of these guys, the five-talent guy uses all his talents. He doesn't just come back with four or three or two or one. He uses all his talents. Remember, the two-talent guy doesn't just use 
uh, one of his talents. He uses all of his talents, and the one talent guy is expected to use all of his talents. Now, this doesn't mean you give it all the missions or whatever, but it does mean that when you look at your finances and so on and so forth, you realize that it all came from God. It is all God's. Now, God's going to want you to pay for stuff to help your family. He's going to want you need a car. I mean, there's lots of things that God wants us and uh, needs for us to have and so on and so forth. But we have to have the attitude about our talent. God's got all my talent. It's all his. We could look at that talent and say that it is a small thing. But with God, it's not a small thing. And by the way, when Zerubbabel looks at everything that he's done, the Bible says here, yeah, I know I've given you a very little uh, to be able to do this with, but Zerubbabel, you will finish it. You will get it done. God has given to us this generation. God has given to us our one talent. And God expects us to do everything that we can do to reach our generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are we despising the day of small things? Are we looking at our small part in thinking it's not going to do anything? The Bible says that if we're filled with the Spirit of God, not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, the definition of that is understanding our place in God's work and understanding that God can use our small thing to move a great mountain. 